This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. With each passing day, a myriad of new revelations come to light, suggesting how intimately involved Donald Trump and his advisors were in the coup attempt leading up to the events of January 6, 2021. The latest bombshell came Thursday night, when news broke that Trump's lawyer and serial farter Rudy fucking Giuliani, as well as other Trump campaign aides, spearheaded the efforts to gather alternate electors in seven swing states in an attempt to overturn Joe Biden's electoral college victory. Multiple sources with direct knowledge tell CNN that Trump campaign officials led by Rudy Giuliani oversaw efforts in December of 2020 to put forward fake electors from seven states that Trump lost. Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, Wisconsin, Nevada, and New Mexico. According to CNN, and I quote, Giuliani and his allies coordinated the nuts and bolts of the process on a state-by-state level with multiple planning calls between Trump campaign officials and GOP state operatives, and that Giuliani participated in at least one call. The source also said the Trump campaign lined up supporters to fill electoral slots, secured meeting rooms and state houses for the fake electors to meet on December 14th of 2020, and circulated drafts of fake certificates that were ultimately sent to the National Archives. In plain language, it was an attempt to steal the election for Donald Trump. It didn't work, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't important or that it shouldn't be looked at. And attorneys general in many of these states, places like Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, they are aware. They are looking. They say that some of them say they're not going to confirm or deny investigation, right? But the Michigan attorney general herself went on TV and said that she believes this is a crime, an illegal forgery, although I will note that her office, her office has not pressed any charges up until this point. They want federal prosecutors to take a look at it. I can tell you here in D.C., the January 6th committee is very interested. They've subpoenaed Rudy Giuliani. They've subpoenaed some other people who may be involved. And in those subpoena uh, documents, they say explicitly, we want to know about the efforts to subvert the Electoral College. Guys, this was an effort to subvert our Constitution. This is all laid out in the Constitution on how you're supposed to do it. And they tried this crooked scheme and it didn't work. The goal of these efforts? to have Vice President Mike Pence declare a dispute about which electors to seat from those seven key states, throwing the matter to the House where a Republican majority of state delegations would vote to recognize the pro-Trump electors rather than the rightful electors. It's an event held by a local GOP organization. One fake elector from Michigan boasted that the Trump campaign directed the whole operation in this audio that is a little tough to make out. Take a listen. We fought for investigations into every part of the election we could. He fought for uh, a team of people to come and testify in front of the committee. We fought to see the electors. Um, The Trump campaign asked us to do that. I'm under a lot of scrutiny for that today. That plot was laid out in a two-page memo by John Eastman, a conservative lawyer working for Trump in the aftermath of the 2020 election. CNN further wrote of the Eastman memo last year, and I quote, The Eastman memo laid out a six-step plan for Pence to overturn the election for Trump, which included throwing out the results in seven states because they allegedly had competing electors. In fact, 
No state had actually put forward an alternate slate of electors. There were merely Trump allies claiming without any authority to be electors. While all of that was going on, Trump himself was actively pressuring Pence to throw the election back to the House, despite there being no fucking constitutional backing for such a move. On January 5th, just hours before the Electoral College certification, Trump and Pence met at the White House. Vice President Mike Pence knew in advance of January 6th that Republicans in multiple states had sent in forged fake electoral votes, documents purporting to be the real electoral votes from those states, even though they were not real. We know he knew about it because we can see he had to maneuver in advance of actually conducting the vote count that day to get the parliamentarian to give him that language so he could justify not counting the fake votes. Pence came under intense pressure from Trump to toss out the election results during a meeting that lasted hours in the Oval Office. The vice president's chief of staff, Mark Short, was banned by Trump from entering the West Wing, the sources said, as the president repeatedly warned with thinly veiled threats to Pence that he would suffer major political consequences if he refused to cooperate. The committee made clear they're interested in a phone call between Trump and Vice President Pence on the morning of January 6th, which Ivanka and General Keith Kellogg both witnessed in the Oval Office. They reveal that in earlier testimony, General Kellogg confirmed that Trump pushed Pence to reject Biden's electors. If you don't do it, I picked the wrong man four years ago. You're going to wimp out, he reportedly said. Then at the close of that call, Kellogg says, Ivanka Trump turned to me and said, Mike Pence is a good man. I said, yes, he is. In other words, Ivanka was praising Pence at the same time, Pence was resisting her father's unconstitutional demands. Now that's damning stuff, folks. And if the past few months have taught us anything, the more of this picture we see, the worse things look for Donald Trump. His role in the amateur criminal effort only seems to grow larger with each passing week. While the report from the January 6th House Select Committee will be the definitive word on all of this, we can already see just how big a role Trump and those closest to him played in the attempted coup. What we are realizing now is that this scheme uh, was sprawling and it had many different tentacles. It had many different aspects. It was pursuing many different uh, pathways towards one final goal, which was overturning the election. And what we know is the very last gasp was January 6th. But these were all other significant efforts as part of what increasingly appears to be a clear conspiracy to overturn the election. Meanwhile, in Georgia, the wheels of justice continued to turn. Last Thursday, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis asked a judge to convene a special grand jury to help a criminal investigation into former President Donald Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election results in that state. A district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, has requested a special grand jury in her investigation of Donald Trump. The inquiry is seen by legal experts as a perilous turn for Trump. The grand jury request from the district attorney in Fulton County, Fannie T. Willis, had been expected after crucial witnesses refused to participate voluntarily. 
a grand jury could issue subpoenas compelling those witnesses to provide information. So this is the letter today uh, from the district attorney of Fulton County, Georgia to the county's chief judge. Quote, dear Chief Judge Brusher, I hope this letter finds you well and in good spirits. Excellent start. Uh, quote, please be advised that the district attorney's office has received information indicating a reasonable probability that the state of Georgia's administration of elections in 2020, including the state's election of the president of the United States, was subject to possible criminal disruptions. Therefore, I am hereby requesting as the elected district attorney for Fulton County that a special purpose grand jury be impaneled for the purpose of investigating the facts and circumstances relating directly or indirectly to possible attempts to disrupt the lawful administration of the 2020 elections in the state of Georgia. The inquiry is the only criminal case known to have taken up by the prosecutor that focuses directly on Mr. Trump's efforts to overturn the election. It is set to play out in a state taking center stage in the nation's battle over voting rights and one where a heated Republican primary for governor is testing Mr. Trump's strength as a kingmaker in the Republican Party. Conceivably, there are lots of law enforcement agencies in Georgia who could take up this matter if, in fact, there's reasonable suspicion that Georgia's statewide elections were criminally interfered with, why does it have to be the Fulton County District Attorney who pursues the evidence and tries to put together the prosecution? Why that one county prosecutor's office? Well, <laughs> she makes a very good case. It's because every other law enforcement agency that could conceivably be investigating this was a potential witness to the alleged crime. The Georgia Secretary of State's office, that was one of the targets of the alleged perpetrators of this scheme. The Georgia Attorney General's office, also one of the targets of the alleged perpetrators of this scheme. The U.S. Attorney's Office, the Federal Prosecutor's Office in Georgia, that was one of the targets of the alleged perpetrators of this scheme. So, you know, if your office is inside the crime scene tape, that makes it hard for your office to be the entity investigating the crime scene. If the investigation proceeds, legal experts say that the former president's potential criminal exposure could include charges of racketeering or conspiracy to commit election fraud. The inquiry centers on Trump's actions in the two months between his election loss and Congress's certification of the results, including a call he made to Brad Raffensperger, Georgia's Secretary of State, to pressure him to find 11,780 votes, the margin by which Mr. Trump lost the state. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes which is one more that we have. In Atlanta, Ms. Willis said last year that she would consider racketeering charges amongst others. An analysis released last year by Norm Eisen and the Brookings Institute that had been studied by Ms. Willis's office concluded that Trump's post-election conduct in Georgia had put him at substantial risk of possible state charges, including racketeering, election fraud, solicitation, intentional interference with performance of election duties, and conspiracy to commit election fraud. I think it's a smart move and a, st a strategic move. She has indicated previously that she would be methodically working through all of the evidence in this case and use all of the resources available to her to do just that. And a special grand jury is one of those tools and resources that allows her to subpoena witnesses, 
Uh, she notes in the letter that she has run into the challenge of some witnesses not coming forth and talking to her office voluntarily. Uh, this signals to me that she did not prematurely ask for a special grand jury. She has done, and she and her team have done a significant investigation up until this point and are only at making this request at the point that she needs the help from the court. The special grand jury also, as she notes, uh, will not be constrained by a two-month time limit that a regular criminal grand jury has, which also means that this dedicated group of Fulton County residents will be able to focus on this one case and this one case only for as long as it takes to get to or complete the investigation. This is just the latest bad news for Trump in a week that saw now his children, Eric and Ivanka, subpoenaed and his humiliating loss before the Supreme Court to prevent hundreds of documents from being handed over to the January 6th committee. I mean, I'm sure somebody out there has had a worse week than Donald Trump. But when you look back over this week and you see uh, the New York Attorney General, Ron DeSantis insulting him, Supreme Court of the United uh, States, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, just slapping him down eight one in, in a, a very, he would say his Supreme Court, completely just rejecting his claim and all of this information, which is as John said yesterday, it's bad as it gets. I mean, you know, all of his henchmen are going to lie. So, but the documents don't lie. And now Georgia. I mean, this is, this is a really, really bad week. In an eight to one decision with only Clarence Thomas dissenting, the court ruled that Trump's assertion of executive privilege was baseless, paving the way for the National Archives to hand over hundreds of pages of documents. This is the Supreme Court saying no to Donald Trump. Uh, you are not a king, you are not still president. And interestingly, even if you were still president, uh, the Chief Justice wrote in this brief opinion, he went out of the way to say, even if you were still president, we would reject uh, your attempt to hide this kind of evidence on a matter of this import. So wow. bottom line translation, Anything that Donald Trump wanted to block for whatever his reasons were related to January 6th this investigation is cleared to go from the archives to the investigation, Nicole. I would say that, you know, this is so far the singular most important uh, outcome of the investigation, the fact that the Supreme Court upheld with an eight to one vote um, that, you know, the committee should have access to these documents. And, you know, we recently received 700 pages of documents, maybe a, a slight glimpse into those for some reporting today. But, you know, this is the truth, the facts in writing. These are the documents that were the closest to the president that his staff was using to brief him, to plan and to execute uh, the work of the White House. So, I mean, this is an incredibly important development. Among the more than 700 pages of documents was a draft executive order dated December 16, 2020, that would have directed the defense secretary to seize voting machines. This one's a doozy, folks. Politico got their hands on the actual memo, and it appears to have been written by one of Trump's illiterate, lunatic fucking cronies. And it says, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States, find that the forensic report of the Antrim County, Michigan voting machines released December 13, 2020, and other evidence submitted to me in support of this order 
provide probable cause sufficient to require action under the authority cited above because of evidence of international and foreign interference in the November 3rd, 2020 election. There's so much to say about, about this draft executive order. Uh, one thing that I think is worth noting is that it, it cites a variety of legal justifications in the very first paragraph for how to try to defend Trump having his Secretary of Defense seize the seize the voting machines. Some of those are unsurprising, the Constitution, a well-known executive order, but it also cites two documents that are not whatsoever well-known to the public. There's National Security Presidential Memorandum 13 and National Security Presidential Memorandum 21. The existence of National Security Presidential Memorandum 21 had not been publicly reported anywhere until we got this executive order. Both of those national security presidential memorandums are classified. They are not publicly available documents. I'm told they both relate to the way that offensive US cyber attacks get authorized. And the fact that the author of this executive order knew that there was a national security presidential memorandum numbered 21 indicates that the person who wrote this memo appears to likely have had access to sensitive information about how the United States government handles national security matters. The draft executive orders shows that the weeks between election day and the Capitol attack could have been even more fucking chaotic than they were. It credulously cites conspiracy theories about election fraud in Georgia and Michigan, as well as the debunked notions about Dominion voting machines. The order empowers the defense secretary to seize, collect, retain, and analyze all machines, equipment, electronically stored information, and material records required for retention under a U.S. law that relates to preservation of election records. It actually is a very clear violation of the Posse Comitatus Act, which means the, the Department of Defense cannot, you can't use federal troops for domestic law enforcement. And by, DOD, asking DOD to seize these machines is a, is a clear violation of the law. So it, it's pretty crazy. Additionally, the draft order would have given the defense secretary 60 days to write an assessment of the 2020 election. That suggests it could have been a gambit to keep Trump in power until at least mid-February of 2021. The question for the select committee and for Congress going forward is, what would have happened if this nightmare scenario did play out? And do we need better laws in place, given that all the norms have basically been checked out the window? Taken together, all these events seem to spell bad news for Trump. But as I've stated time and time and time again, the man is fucking Houdini when it comes to wiggling his way out of trouble. After all, Trump survived two House impeachments, avoiding conviction by the Senate, as well as the investigation led by Robert S. Mueller III into Russian involvement in the 2016 election and several congressional probes of his administration. So yeah, as weeks go, this was a bad one. But time will tell if this was the week that broke his back or just the latest in a long line of false ends. And now for the main event. My next guest on Maya Culpa is a key part of the resistance fighting back against the extremist tide unleashed by the GOP. 
As founder and executive director of the Democratic Coalition, Scott Dorkin is dedicated to opposing the MAGA agenda and the spread of the authoritarian law it has unleashed. A proud member of the anti-Trump resistance, the coalition he started in 2016 is now focused on holding and expanding the Democratic majorities in the House and Senate. He joins me today on Maya Culpa in the midst of a flurry of decisions from the Supreme Court on down that could be fatally wounding for the former president. Mainly, though, Dorkin and his Democratic coalition are laser-fucking-focused on the 2022 midterms. The nightmare scenario of the GOP majority keeps him up at night, as it does me. How he plans to push back and so much more next on Maya Culpa. So let's listen now to that conversation. Okay, so Scott, yesterday, the January 6th committee announced its subpoena for Rudy Colludi Giuliani, in addition to Sidney the Kraken Powell, Jenna Ellis, and my old pal over there, Boris Epstein. Now, they were at the core of Trump's baseless accusations of a rigged election and his attempts to overturn the results before setting his sights on Congress. What do you think is the committee's strategy in subpoenaing these individuals, and how might it help in the prosecution of Donald Trump? Well, my opinion of it is that they're, uh, they have proof and, and testimony already um, that is sort of like, I, I, I assume it's like the, uh, the FBI operates where they know the information already and they have more information than they obviously tell people. Um, but I, I think that they're at a spot now where they are daring people to defy them. And if you do, then you're going to be referred for criminal, uh, potential criminal exposure or indictment. Um, I, I think that there's, uh, they're, they're kind of hedging their bets at this point, saying that Trump's not really going to defend these people. They're going to be thrown under the bus with the rest of them. Um, I'm not sure, you know, Epstein, obviously he's been with them since I think the beginning, well, not before you, but, um, he's been around for a bit. Um, I'm not sure how long Ellis has been around and Giuliani's been around obviously a while. I, I think that they're, you know, it, it's obvious now, you know, going after the family on top of that and getting Eric Trump's phone records. And I think that they're kind of signaling to members of Congress and anybody else who's uh, an accomplice. Now's the time to come forward or else. And, and I think there's definitely some kind of um, information sharing between the DOJ and Congress. And that's obvious, you know, at, at this point. Um, and, and so you think about it a few months ago, remember when Kevin McCarthy made that big stink about, uh, oh, these corporations shouldn't turn over their phone records. I think at that point, they already had obtained those phone records and they were making a big stink and they realized that and they stopped talking about it. Um, so if they, my, my big point here is that if they get Eric Trump's phone records, no one's off limits. And that and that's what they're kind of signaling to people. Like, if you think we won't go after you, you are absolutely wrong. Um, and, and so I, I think that this is a way to formulate the point that, you know, a, a lot of these people knew that this could potentially be violent. The intent was it for it to be violent, to stop the vote um, at any means necessary. And, you know, basically uh, uh, too many people were involved and I think people are spilling the beans and they're throwing them under the bus. So they must have something on them, uh, Giuliani, Ellis, Epstein and, and whatnot. They must have something on them already where they're just trying to get to the bottom of it 
and see who flips on on, on Trump at this point because I, I just don't I don't see why they would expect them to uh, to agree to to coordinate or flip on somebody. Um, but it, it does send a strong message to everybody else that they're not afraid of anybody. Well, one would think that, especially you know, you brought up like the criminal indictments that could be coming in the event that they fail to cooperate. But we've already seen everybody fail to cooperate. They have defied these congressional subpoenas with impunity, right? And what about you know what about the ones who are defying the subpoenas? I'm just waiting for the criminal indictments to come because that would, to me, at least be the real kick in the ass that said, hey, schmuck, wake the fuck up because you're right. And let me tell you something, Scott, you are 100% right. Donald Trump will not, and I'm going to say it again, Donald Trump will not pay for any of their legal fees, not the Boris Epsteins who was there relatively from the beginning of the campaign, not Jenna Ellis. He's not even paying Rudy Giuliani the money that supposedly Giuliani thinks that he's owed. Right. And and the need to, I mean, I'm sick and fucking tired of them. It just it, when I say them, authority not enforcing, like there, there either is a, a gigantic conspiracy and they're all going to fall um, or we're going to be disappointed like another Mueller sort of situation. And I'm, it just seems like they presented uh, the situation for either failure or great success because the the way that they Merrick Garland spoke about it was as if everyone involved from top to bottom, anyone who funded it, organized it, anyone involved whatsoever is going to be indicted. And even I remember when Lawrence Tribe, Harvard professor, I remember when he was telling me about I think he responded to something that I was calling people a traitor or something along those lines a few years ago. And he was like, that's a really strong language. Now he is on board with that. And he's like, I don't understand what's taking so long. And, and, and just seeing a person like that come out and be like, you know, this is cut and dry. So if they're working on something, it better be huge, because otherwise this is going to happen again. And not only not only for the capital, but think about the other 50 capitals. And that that's what we're really scared of is localizing these insurrections in their individual states. Like if they have a problem with an election is a governor like Abbott, if he loses to Beto, if DeSantis loses in Florida, like what is he going to direct these, these people to do? Look at DeSantis, how he just came out and said he was going to have a private police force or something along those lines to enforce election law. I, it, this, this is really, <laughs> I hate comparing stuff to that, but it, but it is dictator like, um, and I don't understand where, where people uh, think that they can actually get away with it. I, I think the, the defying subpoenas thing is so baffling to me. I, I remember, you know, I moved to D.C. in 06. And I, I, I remember if, people, if you got subpoenaed, like you are showing up on time, you are not defying anything. You're turning over every document. Um, and, and I keep on thinking to myself, you know, what would Mitch McConnell do? What would Kevin McCarthy do and what would Donald Trump do? And it, it, it just baffles me that we we kind of take it slower. I mean, I'm very happy with how things have been turning out so far, because if you remember, there wasn't going to be a select committee at all. The public demand combined with Speaker Pelosi pushing for it equal the select committee. 
Um, but they were just going to have an investigation on the side in a subcommittee. Uh, it, they weren't even going to do a full-fledged thing. And then they tried to do the bipartisan commission, which the Republicans all of a sudden were against, and that backfired, and, and Speaker Pelosi called their bluff and formed the select committee. But um, And then, uh, again, you know, there's some more backbone from Speaker Pelosi who came out and pushed up a, a, against anybody um, – you know, who was trying to come on board that was an insurrectionist. And they're, they're like, oh, I don't understand why you're not going to accept these insurrectionists on the committee. It's 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 really I am I'm, I'm just baffled as to how people can defy these subpoenas. Um, I would I would be prepared immediately to refer these people like I, I wouldn't wait. The, the, the time is ticking and 2022 is around the corner. And you better believe that if, uh, you know, your, your old boss, Donald, is, is out and about, even if he's in prison, he'd probably run. But he's going to try and, and, and run again. And, you know, if he's not uh, criminally, criminally uh, liable for any of this in Florida, in Georgia, in D.C., um, anywhere else, then then, you know, we're in we're in deep trouble. And I, I could see him entering the, the White House again, which he should not even be allowed on the White House grounds ever again. He shouldn't be allowed in the United States of America. I mean, let's be serious. I mean, you talked about these smaller factions going against um, or going after state capitals all over. I mean, it's amazing how quickly we as Americans forget. I mean, they all, often I've heard people, including Donald, say, oh, don't worry, the Americans, you know, we all have like a memory span of two weeks. So right. let me bring you back to October of 2020 when 13 men plotted, right, it's this anti-government group to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer of uh, Michigan. I mean, yeah. if you think that that can happen all over the country, that the January 6th insurrection is not a practice run to see just how far a paramilitary group can go, well, I think people really need to wake up and understand you must keep this stuff in the back of your head. Um, you must think about this all the time because that's exactly what January 6th was. And Eric Trump knew about it. And Kimberly Guilfoyle knew about it. And Rudy Colludi knew about it. And Boris knew about it. And all of these folks ultimately must be held accountable. You know, it's one thing people are talking about, you know, this investigation or that investigation. You know, are we going too far? You know, are we making this too political and so on? The answer is when you're talking about the democracy of the United States of America, when you're talking about the Constitution of the United States of America, when you're talking about the changing of our democracy into an autocracy because you have a lunatic, narcissistic sociopath who wants that extreme power and is willing to do anything in order to get it, who weaponizes a justice department and brings on board a complicit and a willing attorney general to do his dirty deeds and to, and to do his bidding. This is really problematic, folks. And that's why I say Democrats better wake the fuck up. We better unite as a group. And as Trump is losing more and more his support, which he is, there was a poll that came out. I think one in three Trump supporters have now already abandoned him. That's not enough. We need three right. out of three simply you know, I, because we need to kill Trumpism. One of the one of the profiles in courage. I'll just say this uh, to you. 
I remember when you came to Congress and I was like, I am worried about Michael, like it's safety. Like I was worried because I myself for, you know, five years threatened thousands of times per month, like by all these people. And I'm like, I just imagine what you were facing at that time. And and like, where are those people like they, they talk about, oh, like you, you had more profile and courage than any of those senators, than any of these reps. And they are the creators of the big lie and they let it stand and they're let they're not standing up against these laws because they're using the big lie to create these uh, anti voting rights laws. Um, I, I just wanted to, to thank you real quick. Uh, and also, uh, I, I believe I correct me if I'm wrong. Congratulations in regards to, to it being over for you. Right. It's 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 done. It's in the past now. No, um, but I appreciate that. So Almost. I'm over with the sentence. Uh, Judge Pauly, in his infinite wisdom, not only gave me three years for the crimes that you know I pled guilty to, many of yeah. which were actually not true, but it was given to me as a take-it-or-leave-it scenario, yeah. uh, and so I had no choice. They produced the allocution, um, you know, uh, Nick Roos, Tom McKay from the prosecutors, they're the ones who actually created my allocution and told me how this needed to go down or they were filing an 85-page indictment that was going to include my wife, literally over a 48-hour period. I'm not getting like a uh, year and three or a year and four months like Alan Weisselberg or others. Mine was 48 yeah. hours. But I appreciate that. That sentence part is over. But in his infinite wisdom, because Judge Pauly was a genius... Gave me three years of supervised release as well. And so I remain on supervised release. Now, my hope is that it will come off relatively quickly, especially right. because of the earned time credits that are now being given. Uh, not to mention, I owe no money. I'm the only guy that goes to prison, right, for tax evasion on what was allegedly, which it was, there was an omission caused by my accountant, Jeffrey Getzel who goes ahead and then ultimately makes the mistake, but then becomes a government witness against right. me? I mean, how right. is something like that even possible? But look, what I did with the hush money payment, I did. You know, has anybody else gone to prison for another guy getting his mushroom pecker pulled by a porn star? I don't think so. But that's now yesterday's news for me. I'll never forget, but I, I need to keep pushing and moving forward. Absolutely. I said to, as I said to George Stephanopoulos, you know, um, very early on, I was completely misguided. My loyalty was completely misguided. It was given to a man who deserves no loyalty, who gives no loyalty, which goes back to the whole issue of Sidney Powell, Rudy, Jenna Ellis, Boris Epstein. There is no loyalty to any of them, right? He won't even have, Donald won't even have loyalty to his own kids as things progress against them. So if they think that, I'm finished. I, I stated to George that my loyalty belongs to my wife, to my daughter, to my son, and to my country. And I will not allow history to remember me as the villain of Donald's story. And I won't. And that's why I continue to cooperate without subpoenas, without like what Eric Trump did 500 times in a deposition to Attorney General Tish James to invoke the Fifth Amendment, because I distinctly remember dear old Donald saying only guilty people plead the Fifth. Well, fucker, 
All right, let's see how your testimony is going to go, because I don't believe you're even going to answer that your name is Donald John Trump. You're going to take right. the fifth on that, too. Right. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, again, very few people should be rewarded for um, what they've done. Different people have done different things, and there are political prosecutions out there of different people. Lev had his own thing, Lev Parnas. Um, Reality winner had hers for leaking a document because the government was lying. Um, you had yours where you stepped up. I, I cannot tell you again how fucking essential it was for you to step up at that time. We needed that so bad. I, I don't I don't understand how you know the legal system works in that aspect, but it seemed like you should have gotten immunity for that stuff. I, I don't know again how that works, but like the, we will not let you be written as the fucking enemy because you are not. You are not. I, I remember you know, years ago where, um, you know, it, it was different, but but there was I, that 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 was real. I, I remember doubting it when you turned around and you're like, oh, shit, this is this bullshit. And you just came out and you actually were honest, um, not that you were lying all the time or anything like that, but you you came out and you were straightforward, no bullshit. And I have not seen to this fucking day, not one person. Not one person who has come forward with the guts that you did. You, you know, you're sitting there on an island. And I remember screaming about the Russian ties, his business ties, all that stuff. And me being on an island and people there. Oh, that's crazy stuff. Blah, blah, blah. You're sitting on an island. You're sitting in that chair in Congress about to get grilled from everyone, from every side. And but you sat there and you took it and you did it. And, and so there's no there's no villain there. Yeah. There's shit from the past. We all have that. But man, mad respect to you for stepping the fuck up when you needed to. I mean, the country needed you and you stepped up. And, and I'm, I have no doubt um, that in history, you'll go down more of a hero. No fucking zero. The people that you left behind, those people should be in prison. Those people are the ones who shouldn't get book deals. Those are the people who should never be on TV ever again. They should be shunned from society. And you're right. They, should, they have no place in public space whatsoever. Um, you know, the John Dean's. The Michael Cohen's of the world like that is where I put you. I don't put you in that other other category with Giuliani and and them. You're not on their side. You're on America's side. And I I, I can guarantee that to everybody listening right now. Um, this is no bullshit. He, he's fucking real. Well, thank you. Now, since we, of course, mentioned Rudy and speaking of Rudy, you recently had his former associate Lev Parnas um, on your podcast. Now, if you do me the favor, for all of my listeners who may have missed that interview, can you explain to me how Rudy acquired all that Russian disinformation? Yeah, uh, so my understanding is that he uh, not only sought this information, uh, helped curate it, and uh, uh, you know, it, it had a team of people that was working to not only create but obtain different kind of information and, and sort of like, it, what I was told is that he received this information knowing that it was disinformation and presented it like gold and but but knew it was a lie the entire time. Um, so so Lev did not spill the beans on exactly who gave every bit of information. But um, the, the knowledge base was there that Trump knew that Rudy knew that everybody involved knew the kids knew um, that this was Russian disinformation that was created by people that they have links with in Ukraine and Russia, and they had meetings in Ukraine and other countries uh, in France about it. They, they traveled around the world, basically, 
um, to talk about this, uh, uh, how they could create this disinformation, um, fake paper trails, uh, fake documents, uh, things like that, um, and then present that to the world as uh, basically the propaganda as if it's fact, waving around paperwork that's false. Um, so, you know, working on strategies where they're whiteboarding it as in, OK, how can we how can we actually distract from this crisis that we're about to face? Like, let's talk about um, trying to get Hunter Biden's information, his laptop. Let's talk about how we can get X, Y and Z. What can we fabricate to make it so it at least seems like we have something credible to push back against them? And, and it just seems like they really had a, a team that just manipulated the system and used OAN and uh, other networks like Fox uh, Entertainment uh, to come through and, and present this argument of like, here's this, here's this information. This is very real. I don't know. Like sort of like that question of like, it'd be really bad if this came out, like, and I know what's on that laptop. I know what's on this thing. I know what's on that. And, and it just, it, it really was, uh, uh, it should be illegal to present this, these sort of, sort of things. But, um, and a lot of, a lot of things that they did <laughs> potentially were, and obviously, um, you know, they did some illegal things because Lev did get convicted. Um, but the 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 way that they acquired the information was the mix of getting information fed to them and also feeding information that would then be curated and kind of stamped and, you know, then then made and sent back. Kind of like they do in Congress, like Devin Nunes used to do with the Intel Committee, where he'd come up with a document or the DOJ under under Barr would do where he he'd be like, OK, this is, um, you know, here's here's our stance on this. And then, you know, Trump would come out, he wavered around and be like, it, it, you know, DOJ says this is truth. This is fact. The Congress says that this is truth. I'm vindicated. I'll hold up this sign. I'll hold up like they want to wave around something. And I think they were willing to create anything. Um, but that validity that they get from the corruption, from the payoffs, from the deals like that quid pro quo, the the several quid pro quos that they had, like that is it's just a mix of everything, a mix of madness. They wanted to make it as official as possible. And it didn't matter if it was true or not. They needed something to push back against. They needed something for the base to be fed and then regurgitated over and over again. And eventually people believe it as fact and they state it as fact, you know. Um, so Lev, Lev made it clear that, you know, Rudy knew the entire time that it was it was false information. Rudy knew the entire time that they were presenting a false narrative. But that was the goal because they didn't have anything else to present. You have to remember, Scott, this is not the first time that Donald provided misinformation or disinformation going back even to the campaign. I was very forthright when I wrote it in my book and I've talked about it on television. Of course, this podcast. Just reflect back as an example to when Ted Cruz was rising in the polls. And Donald feared that he would not be the nominee at that time. At first, of course, he didn't even want to be the nominee. It was all supposed to be about, you know, this is going to be the greatest political infomercial in the history of U.S. politics. But as he started to move up in the field of 17, dwindled, and Ted Cruz started taking on some real steam, what happened? Well, David Pecker of the National Enquirer 
sends to me a picture of Ted Cruz's father with Lee Harvey Oswald right before the JFK assassination. And of course, the headline then being, now we're talking about the National Enquirer. We're not talking about a real news outlet. We're not talking about the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, the Associated Press, etc. This isn't being shown on ABC, NBC, MSNBC, CNN, Fox, even any of them. It's just not. However, Somewhere along the line, Donald realized, you know, every person that walks, you know, in the grocery store to the, you know, to the checkout is going to see this. And so on the front page, Ted Cruz's father involved in assassination of JFK. I have to tell you, his, he, of course, he knew about it because he's the one who approved it. I'm the one who gave it to him. He approved it, sent it back to David Pecker, and so it went. But Donald's position, I thought, was extremely unique. And typical Donald, how is Ted Cruz even supposed to respond to this? If you say it's a lie, it's bullshit, you, Donald was like, you know, all of a sudden people are like, well, of course he's going to say that. You know, his father's being implicated in the, you know, in the assassination of a U.S. president. And if he comes out and he says, yeah, my dad was involved. Well, that's also, there's no good answer here. It's kind of like, you know, do you beat your wife on Monday or Tuesday, right? And then... You know, there's no good answer to that type of a question. And Donald saw that, and he's doing exactly as former president during his administration as he did during the whole campaign period. It's a lie. And he he projected this to people like Rudy, people like that to Boris, people like that to Kelly McEnany or Kellyanne Conway with alternative facts. Everybody started becoming little mini Donald bots. Lying, misinformation, it didn't make a difference as long as you made the Fuhrer happy. That's all that counts. I'm at the, it's a couple of days after inauguration in 2016. I'm sitting next to Joy Reid, MSNBC Studios in D.C. And it was the first time that we both uh, saw alternative facts, the comment about the inauguration that Spicer had made uh, by Kellyanne Conway. And I remember Joy and I, and our mouths dropping when we saw this clip and she said something along the line. So, Scott, what's your take on that? And uh, I remember saying very distinctly, because I, you know, I've worked around some presidents before and I've seen this firsthand. I was just like, you know, these these lies are going to kill people. Like and, and I remember the backlash I got from the right for that because they're, they're not going to look at it. Look at what look at what happened. This this rolls into that. If you don't stop one lie, if you don't stop there, like it spins out of control and then you act like masks are a bad idea and vaccines are a bad idea when that's not the case. I want to make it clear before someone clips this shit and acts like uh, that's what I said. But like it, it, the alternative facts kind of like playing down lying, watering it down. I mean, is so fucked up and is so dangerous in politics. If you don't call it out and you don't beat it down information wise and you don't dispel that and make sure it's clear to everyone what the truth is, then there is no truth. And in their their minds, it seemed like I mean, I couldn't even sit across from any Republicans in private, like every conversation I would have with elected Republicans, members of Congress or their staff. You have to assume that it's recorded. You're on video. And I get it. I understand that. But like that, no trust there means that we can't talk to each other. We can't work on bills. We can't figure out ways together. It's not just about winning. It's about 
doing something for the American people that helps them. And for some reason, they were led astray and so scared and so spineless and so uh, weak that they just fell to Trump. And they're so scared of him now that nobody's had the guts to actually stand up with them, stand up against him besides Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, maybe Mitt Romney, but you don't see him talking out against, you know, big lie, uh, big lie laws trying to be passed across the, the country. You don't see him uh, standing up and, and talking out against it every single day. Like this is not a one off thing. This is not a quote thing where they can just come out and be like, oh, well, you know, he made the comments about alternative effects and they're wrong and they're lying. You got to say well, it every single day for the rest of your life. And that, that's did he ever did he ever did Trump ever do that to you? I can't recall off the top of my head, but did he ever send out fake news or disinformation about you? Like, it, I bet he lied about you all the time. Like, I, oh I my know God, that of course, information. It was just horse shit, like coming from Fox News dribble like pig vomit. Oh, my God. It, it, all the time. All his tweets about me, about my family. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's they were right. All, they're all lies. But Scott, Fucking sadly. Yep. Well, goes, he'll go after anybody. Scott, you have to remember, Congress, you know, may not be doing it, but people like you, you know, um, the Democratic uh, Coalition, myself, others, we talk about this every single day. So, you know, the fact that, you know, maybe I have uh, like we're up to like 18 or 18 and a half million downloads, you know, that's enough people right now that are sitting and listening wow. to this program. And I'm going to constantly remind each and every one of these people that we have to stay vigilant and not just as Democrats, Republicans. Independence. If you're yep. not going to stay vigilant about the truth, about disinformation and misinformation campaigns being put forth by, you know, members of Congress, by the former president and others, we will not have a democracy. But I want to ask you this, Scott. Republicans close to the president and within the MAGA orbit are also terrified about the subpoenaing of Eric Trump and Kimberly Guilfoyle's phone records. What are you hearing about those records and what they may contain that's scaring the shit out of these folks? And do you think that there's a smoking gun in there that could connect Trump to the insurrectionists or some other coup plotters? Sure. Um, so I spoke to some Republicans who work on the Hill uh, that, you know, their committee work. So they 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 don't focus on members of Congress. So they're more neutral than most would be. Um and they can be trusted because they did give me information for years. But I, I would say that uh, the the word that they used was terrified. There are members of Congress who are terrified running around thinking of ways they can dig out of this hole. Uh, and I, they didn't know exactly why. Um, but the what provoked that was a line from the CNN report yesterday, which I, I don't know why they buried the lead on this, you know, talking about how it, it, they subpoenaed the phone records. It's like, Okay, yeah, yeah. They subpoenaed the phone records. No, no, they subpoenaed and acquired the phone records. That that word acquired, I believe, is what they used. But it was they got the phone records, and I was like, well, that's that's the story. Is they have his phone records or related to Trump? So it's Eric Trump. So it's either his uh, personal records or assistant. You know, it's in his orbit. It's it's there. Uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle, same thing. So one would assume that Ivanka, Don Jr., the rest are, are not off limits. Jared Kushner and uh, Donald himself. Definitely, if you're going after Eric Trump, you're not going to be scared of Mark Meadows. You're not going to be scared of any of these other people who are involved in the orbit. Mike Pompeo, uh, Rudy Giuliani, obviously. 
Um, so, so who I've spoken with on the Hill on the Republican side of things, they're, they're truly terrified. Like, it's not a joke. It's not, it's not like, oh, well, they're up. No, they are actually worried about uh, whether or not they're going to get arrested. And, and that was, that was shocking to me. Cause I was like, that, under no circumstances have I seen for a few years now, um, even people who got in trouble for doing illegal things like the stock trade made by that dude from New York, who, uh, I forget his name, uh, but he was a member of Congress who, who made stock trades and uh, got arrested for it. That dude who used campaign money out in California and cheated on his wife, uh, uh, that used money to campaign money to cheat on his wife. Um, you know, there's a there's a true terror right now, because if the truth gets laid out, you know, I'm guessing a lot of Republicans will leave people like. Uh, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Gosar, like a, a, a lot of these people behind and they'll act like they never knew him, never said I never supported this person. That person gets pushed out of the party and they forget it ever happened. Um, the the I think what happened, I think there's going to be a very clear evidence that it was intentionally violent. They wanted it to be violent. They wanted to provoke violence. They had no other option. They wanted to at least convey that it was going to be violent. Some of my sources have also said that they not only wanted to be violent, they wanted their own supporters to be hurt. They wanted their own supporters to be hurt so they could say, look at what they're doing to us. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to institute martial law. I'm going to do whatever I can to stop this. And obviously the election was rigged and I'm staying in office. And, and, you know, that is the nightmare scenario. Speaker Pelosi doesn't come back in and say whatever she said to Mike Pence and McConnell. That scared the fear of God in them to come back that day to count that vote. What happens like they they would have, quote unquote, won the insurrection. So then you have two weeks of what happening like that lost the, the fact that they. You know, I, I guess I'm really thankful for the fact that there's a lot of military veterans in the Capitol Police because they knew if they're like Eugene Goodman, he didn't really reached for his firearm. He had that baton and he drew people in and he drew them away from the Senate door. Thankfully, you know, there were not that many uh, people that were killed because I believe that they would have used that as the, here's the example of what they did. Instead, it was just them being violent, hurting police, hurting and killing police officers. And he had to put a stop to it. And that ended this whole we were still nervous for that next two weeks, obviously, until Biden was sworn in. And even then, um, but that really was they, they they hurt themselves that way. But the, I, I think the bottom line here is they intentionally wanted this to be violent. I believe that they're going to have proof of that. They're going to have timelines of that. They're going to have the conversations uh, electronically that they had between each other of what it, what the fuck is Donald doing? Why isn't he stopping this? He's the only one who can stop this. And it's going to be from his family. It's going to be from his friends. It's going to be from the allies. And uh, then there's going to be the people like Michael Flynn. And there's going to be people like that who, who want it to be violent. Roger Stone, um, Steve Bannon, where they wanted it to be that way. Or they're like, we need this to, to be worse. We need this. Like, there's going to be people who want it to escalate. There's going to be people who advised him to stay out of it. Because he's, I, I mean, I don't know what your take is on it. My assumption would be that he's going to listen to the people who want want things to be escalated, like let things go. 
Um, I don't think that he sat there by himself and he's like, I think the best move is this. Like, I think he had to have been advised by uh, people to do so um, or that, you know, he got that advice from people. And I think they'll have proof of that. And I think these people are stupid enough to think he was going to stay in office no matter what. We're going to be able to win this. We're going to get away with it. We're going to be able to bury the evidence. And then even then, when Biden was sworn in, they're thinking, like, we're not going to get caught. They're never going to be able to pull off an investigation. Uh, and I look back to the fact in 2017, when Republicans were in control of the White House, uh, House and Senate, when the resistance kind of really, really started, and we, we were like, no, we need an investigation into these Russian business ties. And under this Republican regime, we had Sessions who recused. We had Devin Nunes with his fake recusal. And then the ultimate appointment of, of Mueller to investigate this, this whole mess under Republicans, under Republicans. And so it, it, where we're at now, if we look all the way down the mountain, everything that we've climbed, you know, it, it, we, we've succeeded in a lot of ways. And I, and I think getting that momentum back with the COVID shit in the middle of it, right? Like that is one of the biggest barriers for us now, but we are, we are vaccinated, right? And we're ready to rock for 2022. And I think the momentum is going to be on our side. And I think, uh, as you had said, the, the word smoking gun, if not, you know, smoke, uh, or at least uh, the, the gun being warm and the bullet nearby, like, I think there's going to be undoubted proof that he wanted to be violent. He wanted to be more violent. And he was disappointed it wasn't more violent than it was, even though it was a violent terrorist attack. I mean, I, and I think that it'll go down as he, he'll be painted as a terrorist for the rest of his life, as he is. I think yeah, that's I agree. my. I, mean, I totally agree with you. One of the biggest problems for Trump is the fact that he's actually really stupid. I know Trump will tell you, oh, I got a big brain. I got to use the best words. He's really fucking dumb as a stump. And I'm going to tell you what makes him stupid. He already saw the fact that he walks away from people. He doesn't just walk away from you when shit goes south. He dumps you, dumps you hard, starts to try to disgrace you, denigrate you, and so on. And mm -hmm. he did that to me. Now, had he turned around and seen that by doing that to me, Look at what is now happening to him. Look at what's going on to all, with all of these investigations. Look at what's gone on with the pr providing of documentation, documentary evidence to law enforcement committees, etc. Dustin Stockton, who, along with um, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, they appeared before Congress, the House um, January 6th committee, and they've been referred to as like the Bonnie and Clyde of, you know, MAGA world of the January 6th insurrection. Great article that Politico had done on it. But even Dustin Stockton, who has been one of these right-wing sort of promoters, you know, a big pro-Trump guy, along with Jennifer Lawrence, not the actress, by the way, um, reported to, to Politico when they were doing a piece on them, all right? You eventually become the focus of the attack, and when you do, they just dump you. Now, even mob, even mob bosses know that when somebody is being investigated, you put your arms around them, you hug them, you make them feel comfortable. Not Trump and Trump lane, because he's such a fucking narcissistic sociopath. Something I talk about in my book, Disloyal Ad Nauseum. He really believes that everybody in the world should take a bullet for him. 
Now, he's, even if he's the one that's pulling the trigger, because he is, and I do believe that Eric and Don Jr., and that you have Kimberly Guilfoyle, you're going to have Amy and Kylie Kramer, Mark Meadows, Rudy Colludi, Giuliani, you're going to have all of these folks with their text messages, their emails. They, again, I'm going to use the same word, they act with impunity. They don't give a fuck if anybody read it. They never thought today, the day of reckoning, was going to be coming. Now, that brings me to my next question, Scott, because this is a major escalation in the investigation as the committee starts to put a net around Trump's family, his inner circle, right? Do you see this as a sign that the committee is working its way toward Donald himself? I think he's the focus of the investigation at this point. I, I, I don't believe there is any other ringleader. I don't think there's any other kind of dumbass mastermind or whatever. Um, you know, and I think that, that they're ultimately going to prove that. Um, as to whether or not that leads to convictions, I think the DOJ is ahead of them by months, if not, you know, uh, four or five months. Um, and I think that they're building a case against him as well. Uh, and they're going to be careful about how they present Donald specifically for now um, until more is released on that. Um, the, I, I think that, uh, you know, this is, this is the only opportunity that we have. This is truly the only opportunity that we have as a country to come together and say enough is enough this bullshit is over. Here's the truth about everything that happened. Um, you know, not, not just that, um, there's so many other investigations going on right now. Like I think just, just on the COVID stuff, just on the COVID lies, just on the blocking masks, just on the stopping testing development. Um, you know, that's killing people. Like what, what the fuck are we doing where we can let politicians lie and then it, it, it leads to mass death. You know, what's, what's worse than that? And, and so like, well, maybe a terrorist attack to try and overturn the election. Like it's the, the level of of crazy shit is just it's mind boggling. And, and so the, the, what 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 they need to do, though, they need to take and I, I hate saying it this way, but they need to take from the Trump playbook and they need to ram it down the American people's throat with truth and uh, uh, unvarnished honesty where this is what happened. And needs to be presented like it's a freaking blockbuster movie and everything needs to be just pummeled. And you can start to see the, the acceleration of everything, but they needs to be every single day pounding the door down so much where people start to give up defending him. And, and you know, we need to as as people on the right side of history, we need to stand up and make sure that we do not get drowned out in any bit by any of these lies or bullshit and that we present the facts and we do not tolerate it. And, and being nice has not worked. I've been respectful, uh, you know, and I've called people out. Um, but now I'm starting to be like, okay, all right, enough of the shit. Like, tell us what you're going to do, do something or stay out of our fucking way. And that, that, that was the attitude we had in 2017. That is how we went back to house. That is how we got to 50 in the Senate. You know, our focus needs to be wholly on not just passing bills, but getting people into the Senate and holding the House, but getting people into the Senate that do their fucking job and pass bills and will work for the American people, make Manchin and Cinema irrelevant forever. And, 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 you know, I think the January 6th committee and exposing that is going to bring down a lot of the Republicans 
but it, again, it's it's the only opportunity. So if they don't get it right, then I, I expect Trump to announce this year. I mean, like that that he's probably going to announce this year anyways because he's going to run out of ways to grift. But like uh, outside of his stock push, which is just uh, the social network and bullshit. That's another thing is like how who who of these people are involved with this social network uh, who were also involved with the January sixth. Uh, insurrection. And so I think the January 6th committee is the uh, nuclear bomb is the is is what America has to defend itself against Trump. And they better get it right. And, and I think that they have the right leadership, the the right people in charge. And I think they're going to get it done. I, I'm very confident in them. I, I know that people are frustrated. I am frustrated, too. I want people arrested. I want people put in prison. I want people made an example of legally so that they can pay the price to deter other people from ever doing this again. Uh, and we need to do that before the 2022 election. So if we don't, uh, we're, we're obviously, as you had said before, we're, we're in dangerous territory to lose our democracy more than we ever have. And, and we just can't let that happen. So I, the January 6th committee has to deliver. And I think they know that. Um, especially, you know, people like Jamie Raskin, Liz Cheney's entire you know, political life is on the line. Um, Adam Kinzinger is going to be out the door, but he'll obviously have a comeback at some point. Um, th- their entire legacies are this for now. Like every, so, some of these members of Congress, this, this is all they're going to have. And they know that and they, they intend to make sure to uh, bring him down via it. And, and so I hope that they deliver on those promises and they got to do it soon. So, Scott, let me just disagree with you on um, two things. Sure. One, I do not believe Donald Trump is going to announce that he's running for the presidency. I don't believe he's going to announce at all. Um, you know, I know that he knows, based upon numbers, he cannot win. I know Donald has an insanely fragile ego and then mm-hmm. if, in fact, that he does and he loses, there goes the big lie, there goes the grift, which is making him more money today than he ever made before. Let me also say to you something that I disagree. I agree to a, a point how important the January 6th committee is, but I wouldn't discount the fact that you still have the New York Attorney General and the New York District Attorney's cases, along with Georgia, along with D.C., along with the PIC case, the presidential inaugural case, which brings me, Scott, to my next question for you. Very happily, late Tuesday night, the New York Times reported, and I'm going to quote from them, that the New York State Attorney General, Letitia James, accused Donald Trump family's business late Tuesday of repeatedly misrepresenting the value of its assets to bolster its bottom line, saying in court papers that the company had engaged in fraudulent or misleading practices. Now, this is the first time that Attorney General James has leveled charges of this nature with such specificity because it's my belief that while the January 6th committee plods along, it will ultimately fall to the New York Attorney General and to the Manhattan District Attorney to prosecute Donald Trump. So if you would, discuss my thoughts um, on this and how it compares and contrasts to yours. Sure. And I just I, you gave me a little smile there by saying he, he would not announce or would not run. It's a great thing to think about. Um, and uh, I, I, I hope that to be true. I really do. And I think you make a good point there. Um, you know, I, I question just 
because I'm not a lawyer or whatnot. Um, in regards to, and I know that I've, I've had this question from people all day today so far um, about the Tish James stuff. Is there the, because uh, I know that there was something about it being, uh, a, are, are they able to criminally prosecute? So Scott, right. So Scott, I saw also a couple of commentators uh, on various different shows. They talking about, you know, the criminal prosecution uh, to come out of Tish James. The answer to that is no. At the at the end of the day, that investigation is a civil investigation. That civil investigation, in my estimation, based upon documents that I have provided, information that I have shared, will, for the most part, bankrupt the Trump organization. The House of Trump will crumble like fucking House of Cards because he does not have the cash in order to offset the grift, the, the theft that he has um, committed against the state of New York, and that's being prosecuted by the Attorney General. However, allow me to put a big smile on your face on this one. You may recall that Tish James, the Attorney General in New York, is working hand-in-hand hand with the New York District Attorney, who was, of course, before Cy Vance, now it's Alvin Bragg. That is a criminal case. So if and when Tish James accomplishes what she wants, right, working hand-in-hand hand with the District Attorney, if she finishes her investigation before the District Attorney, the District Attorney can use that conviction as the basis of the cause of action to bring the criminal case Quicker Now, I believe that they're working in tandem and that information that's provided to the district attorney is provided to the attorney general and vice versa. It's, it's a rarity that you see two government agencies work together so closely and so effectively. My only point of contention here, the disappointment that I have, is that I know how much information both sides have. I know it firsthand because I gave it to them. I have spent a hundred plus hours speaking with these with these groups, and I know what information, what documentary evidence, irrefutable. You don't need Eric Trump's bullshit. You don't need Don Jr. or or Ivanka. You don't need anybody. The documents speak for themselves. They are crystal clear. Why they haven't already indicted, I don't know. They're being cautious, and I get it because Trump is a litigious motherfucker, and he will fight you tooth and nail, especially not, not just because it's his money, which he cares about more than anything else, but his freedom as well. So you could rest assured that there will be criminal prosecution here against many people in the inner circle, and I believe that it will start with his children, sadly for them, as I said you know, before when I was quoting Dustin Stockton, that they dump you, Donald will dump his own children too, as long as it inures to his benefit. That's how sick the man is. Right. Uh, you know, I, I look forward to, to, to that. And that was, that was a question I was asked a, a lot. Um, and thank you for the clarification, because now I can uh, pass that along. And I, when the podcast was released, uh, it, it really... You know, Georgia it looks like they're they're working on something there, as you as you had mentioned. D.C. There's there's a little bit of something there, but that New York City case that you know that that really looks interesting to me. And and I, I'm not a lawyer, folks. Like I just want to remind folks of that. But um, like I, I 
I think that, you know, if that were to happen, you know, that is what, what, what people want. I, I don't know. I know people talk about Al Capone and all this stuff. Um, I was curious based off of what you had just said, is there something else out of left field that just randomly comes up where it's like, you know, <laughs> here's a criminal charge against Trump, like just, just where it comes out of nowhere, where we don't even expect it. Like, or, or is it kind of, this is what's on the table. I was just curious. Cause I, I don't, um, I, I, you know, cause it was just kind of, there's been different criminal enterprises that have been brought down by random things that didn't seem to be what they were going to be brought down about. Um, and do you think that he's going to, it's going to be one of these things that brings them specifically New York city and New York AG, or, or do you think that Georgia would pop first or who are we going to throw the parade for first? Yeah, I, I do believe it'll be New York. Um, and you know, one thing that I am incredibly proud of, uh, and you brought up was, you know, when I did testify, uh, that opened up the investigation and I want to thank Tish James and I have publicly for her thanking me. I mean, even in her own, um, Attorney General website, she states, you know, as detailed in today's filings, Attorney General James opened an investigation into Donald J. Trump and the Trump Organization in March of 2019 after Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, testified before Congress that Trump's annual financial statements inflated the values of Trump's assets to obtain favorable terms for loans and insurance coverage while also deflating the value of other assets to reduce real estate taxes. So when I woke up at about 4.15 this morning and and so on. I was already, my inbox was flooded with congratulations, mostly from people on the West Coast uh, or some other crazies like myself that don't sleep too well. But I do really um, appreciate, you know, the fact that it's finally being acknowledged. Not so much that I was the one that created the, the investigation, but that I told the truth because that's something that Donald did. He started out with this bullshit about you're a disgraced, um, you know, um, lawyer and on top of being a disgraced lawyer you're a convicted liar and that just kept you know perpetuating as each and every one of the fucking republicans sitting there didn't ask me a single question about anything other than attacking me and trying to denigrate me because that was the playbook that Donald Trump ran by. But you didn't get past Jamie Raskin's questions. You didn't get past um, uh, Ocasio-Cortez's questions, which I thought were the most poignant on anything. So anybody that wants to criticize Ocasio-Cortez really needs to go back and watch the almost nine-hour testimony that I gave. But, you know, just moving forward, because you brought up the midterm elections. And speaking of these midterm elections coming up the idea of the GOP retaking the majority it's got to be a nightmare scenario for you as it is for me what's at stake should this happen and how can the Democrats turn the tide between now and November because I say often and I mean often often that if the Republicans take it, my fear is that they'll shut down the January 6th committee. My fear is that they will start going after, especially if Trump somehow stays relevant and in power, that people like you, people like me, people who are on his enemies list will be in some significant danger, which we live in anyway, but we will be in significant danger because he is a, he is just a maniac. He's just, he's a menace. And this is what he feels. 
retribution by him is an essential. Right. In November of 2020, I was recommended that if he were to win re-election, it would be best for my safety to leave the country. And that's what uh, security professionals... Mine too, by the way. And that was, would have been safe. It would have been like in exile somewhere. But like COVID laws made it really confusing and very, very nerve-wracking. I had to do that same thing in 2017. I had gone hiding multiple times because... You know, people find out where you live. They track you down. They make threats. And it's uh, some crazy shit. Um, and it, it, it exists. And that's what we're up against. And I don't talk about it almost ever. But, you know, we're talking about real threats. You know, people would put your head on a stick or very descriptive threats. But sometimes it's an old dude in the middle of nowhere who's angry. And he's like, I'm going to come find you. Like, those, those are some of the scariest ones um, besides organizations like Oath Keepers and other terrorist organizations. Um, the, the midterm elections, I think one of the most important things, and I, I forget who mentioned this the other day, um, bringing a butter knife to a, a gunfight was one of the quotes that I heard uh, recently. Um, you know, we don't want to bring a, a book to a Twitter war. We don't want to, uh, that one of the things that Democrats do sometimes is, well, let me explain exactly what was in the bill back, what's in bill back better. Let me explain what we passed in infrastructure. Let me explain what we passed in COVID relief. No, no, no. We need to, first thing we need to do is simplify things. We need to simplify things for the American people as to what's been accomplished and what they, uh, what Republicans were, were up against, what they voted against, what they decided not to support. Uh, and that message needs to be stark and clear. And it needs to be a fit in the 30 second mold, if not 12. Uh, the, the other thing we need to do is we need to state very clearly, very, very clearly what we've done and what we hope to accomplish and where we're going to go from here. And it can't be we're going to go uh, we're going to investigate Trump more. We're going to do it like it's got to be about getting rid of covid. It's got to be about uh, rebuilding the economy and jobs. And it's got to be about uh, the safety of Americans. Um, you know, I, on top of there's obviously a lot of other issues, but we've got to be able to speak to uh, people. I, I was born in Ohio, and so we've got to be able to talk to fellow Midwesterners uh, very bluntly, very clearly uh, about what's what's been happening. But but again, we cannot talk about it in uh, long essays. We have to talk about it very clearly. Like, you know, when they say critical race theory, we say you're just masking the fact in a fancy way that you're a racist. Like you have to be able to hit back any of their little barbs and talking points. We can't we tried to play a little bit patty cake in Virginia and look what happened. You know, if we if we were harder on Glenn Youngkin and exposed the truth and this CRT bullshit, we would have been better off. But the other thing we need to do is we need to pound the table daily. Like we need to make sure that it's clear we're not. We cannot play nicely. I'm not saying anything in regards to violence, but legally and what we speak to, we need to be clear and we need to be forceful in regards to how we speak. And, and we cannot tolerate lies. We need to call them out. Now, there's a fine line between promoting propaganda uh, and, and whether or not we counter it. Um, but the, the bottom line is if we if we do all those things where we state clearly what we've accomplished, where we pound the, the, the table daily and we are organized more than we ever have been before. I mean, we were really organized in 2020, super organized in 2018. We need to blow that out of the water in 2022 because remember all the laws that we're working against. So based on what we're seeing right now, we need to assume that the rules now are going to be in play in Georgia. They're going to be in play. They're going to pass these laws across the country. And we need to work around that and legally do everything we can to uh, surpass that so that we can eventually elect more people to to pass that. But it's all about 
being uh, the, the, the old Carvel quote of keep it simple, stupid. Like we've got to simplify it and tell people this is what we've done. This is what we're going to accomplish. Fuck these people. They're lying. And, and yes. it's just got to be very clear. Yes. And what we need to do is to be, I hate to say it, a little more Trumpy. You know, let's phrase it fun. You know, like you know, if you, you, the Democrats are not playing in the same sandbox that Trump, they're trying to play in a clean sandbox, whereas right. Trump and now the Republican Party that are following him, that they're playing in filth, like, you know, a fucking trough of pigs. You know, like, like say, so, ask me a question. If I was there guiding the Democrats how to do it, I'll tell you how I would answer it. And I'll tell you how we would get the traction that's so desperately needed. You know, you want to talk about critical race theory? Yes. Those that do not agree, and I would say it this way on TV, not TV, I don't care. I would turn around and say, because they're fucking racists, because they because they're so they're so used to white privilege and that they're so used to, you know, the status quo that they refuse to allow it. We can't be that. We're bigger than them, we're better than them, and if they want to bring CRT to the forefront, we will beat you in your face with it. You know, and leave it at that, because that's what America wants. We, we want people who are talking, as you rightfully put, or as Carville put, right? Say, say it straight, because it's true. They start going to, well, you know, it's not real. It's actually really just a, a college sort of theory that's talked about in poli-sci classes. Bullshit. Fuck you. All right? You're just afraid that someone else is going to be able to play on the same playing field as you, but you want to keep your white privilege. It's okay. I want black people. I want people of color, brown people. I want them all to be able to live the American dream just as I have. But I just don't want them taking my job, right? Because they're more qualified. And if they're not more qualified, they won't get the job. It's just a way to even the playing field so that everybody gets a chance at success in America. But, you know, Scott, as we finish up the hour, and I told you the hour goes by fast, I have one last question for you. Sure. You know, as you know, as the um, co-founder of the Democratic Coalition, I understand that you guys are running a campaign to abolish the filibuster. Now, I hate the fucking filibuster, to be honest with you. I think it's, I think it's terrible. But President Biden recently came out in support for changing the Senate rules for the very first time last week. But what is the political reality of such a move with holdouts like Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin blocking the way forward? And what can we do to get rid of them and maybe bring one or two or five Republicans on who actually have the fortitude in order to pass this really significant and important legislation? We need to widen what we're doing because right now it's Cinema Mansion, Cinema Mansion. No, no, Cinema Mansion and 50 Republicans who won't stand up against the big lie they created. Like Amen. we need to include them into the mix. And that is one of the key problems that we have right now. None of them are facing any fire. Like they're really not, you know, and we need to lump them. In. And once we do that, I think it'll encapsulate exactly what we need. We, it, it just... You know, I, I've stood next to uh, Kirsten Cinema when she was in Congress. We were at a Michelle Obama event in D.C. standing next to each other. She was so happy, uh, progressive and proud and yada, yada. And I don't know what happened <laughs> to to her mansion. You know, I, I don't know if he's he's beatable in West Virginia. He seems like he'll make deals with Biden uh, sometimes. Uh, you know, it, it, what, what's clear is we can't have 
we can't depend on them. And that's that's so we need to expect uh, them not to be on board with everything. And we need to lump everyone. All those 52 senators are to blame, not just those two. And I think making it clear, like, why are they letting this happen? Because they want anti-voting rights legislation to pass so they can win because they cannot win if everybody votes. And again, simplifying the message and making it clear. It's not just about mansion and cinema. Like I, I would love if it was just mansion and cinema. And it's like, like, Oh yeah, they're in our party. They're supposed to support us. They're supposed to do whatever I get it. But like, where the hell are the Republicans that live in States where uh, it's clearly borderline as to whether or not they'll get reelected again. Like, where are those people? Where where are their polled endorsements and whatnot? And we need to make sure we broaden that base. But my expectation, I always have worst case scenario in mind. And at the Democratic Coalition, we 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 go to the max. For example, we knew that presenting the arguments like we had a big investigative report with dozens of videos with millions of views on Marjorie Taylor Greene. And when we released those sling of videos about January 6th and her standing in front of the Capitol saying we've got to fight for it tomorrow, her standing in front of the White House saying we just met about planning for January 6th. Now she was talking about the rally, I believe. Uh, but, it, you know, doing all these things and, and we were like, she needs to be expelled, period. She needs to be expelled. We knew that we could get two thirds of Congress, the House to, to vote on removing her from from Congress. But we figured it was worth a shot. And what happened from there was then uh, uh, Congressman Gomez presented a bill to remove her from committees. And we were like, great, we can focus the attention on there. But we have to. That's that's kind of like the Republican playbook. We go to the max. We go for that. And then it looks like we're negotiating down. But the whole goal was to to do something, to accomplish something. And so we we need to aim high. I think we need to assume that they're not going to be on board with with everything. But everyone needs to be at blame. We can't just blame cinema and mansion because we're going to eat ourselves that way. Right. We need mansion. We're not going to be able to. The beat him in a primary. Now, cinema, I, I know she, she's going to face a primary. Like, I, I know that for a fact. Uh, and it's going to be real. Um, that's later down the line, though. That's not now. And so we need to expect that they are going to be roadblocks along with those 50 Republicans. And what we, we do, everything we can to make it so they're irrelevant. So they don't, don't control uh, the vote. And, uh, you know. That's I, I think that we're we're going to be able to pull it off. But but again, we can't do it if we're just like mansion cinema, mansion cinema. And I'm I'm as much to blame as anybody else with that, um, because we expected them to bend. We expected them to change their minds. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. But, but, but we need to lump them in with the 50 other Republicans who haven't done shit. And that's a- that's the key. Amen. Here, I think. Amen to that. Scott, let me thank you for joining me. Appreciate it. Look forward to coming on your podcast soon. Please stay safe. Um, and you know, just as everybody keeps telling me, stay the course, we will, we will get there. So thank you so much for joining me onward, brother. And now for today's mayor culpa, after speaking with Scott Dorkin, I must admit that I remain terrified about the prospect of a GOP house and Senate takeover. The fallout from such occurrence is almost unthinkable. From the shutting down of the January 6th committee to voting rights, reproductive rights, civil rights, the list is endless, and the GOP seems determined to escalate these culture war issues and feed their rabid base an endless fucking trough of political red meat. Then there's the Donald Trump of it all. 
Sure, he's on the ropes at the moment, but he's also the rope and dope master. If he can't find a way to lock his ass up between now and 2024, a GOP return to the majority all but paves the way for his nomination. And even if he doesn't and Trump remains a sideshow, he will continue to wield power until his bones are six feet fucking underground for one reason or another. The man will never fucking stop with the election lies. From now into eternity, every time he faces a camera, he will talk of how he was robbed of the election, how it was rigged, and there will be millions of voters who fucking believe him. The big lie that Trump created has metastasized and grown more poisonous since election day. The fact that he used it to justify the seizing of voting machines and the inciting of an insurrection is just the beginning of what has now become a litmus test for all future GOP contenders. Assert Trump's big lie or be relegated to irrelevance and the bile of Trump. This lie has infiltrated every fucking inch of our political lives and beyond. It has fractured families and corrupted our electoral system. If we do not find a way to flush Trump from our collective system by conviction or disqualification, things will continue to get much worse. That said, we must revel in the victories. And my hope is this week will spell the beginning of the end of Donald Trump, even if that end takes six months or six years. The wheels of justice turn slowly, but they nonetheless continue to turn. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. 